Hey everyone, welcome to the first episode of I'm Rubber, Your Glue. Now as a kid, I'm pretty sure most of you are familiar with that phrase of I'm Rubber, Your Glue, whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. But is that really true? Is that what really happens? When people say things to us, does it really bounce? And for some of us, it might. But for a lot of us, it doesn't. Deep down, it sticks and it becomes a layer upon layer upon layer till eventually it just gets really heavy and we don't want to carry it anymore. And to be honest with you, I like to think in the beginning, everyone is glue. Things people speak to you and over your life, starting in your mother's womb. God is the potter and we are the clay, honey. In Jeremiah 18.6, the Lord says, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hands, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. He made us in different shapes, sizes, colors, and with flaws. Anything you don't like about yourself, it actually may be the very thing he made you with and stood back and thought, man, now that's a masterpiece. Let me ask you something. How can you look at a painting with crooked faces, all sorts of colors, and because it's on canvas, you can call it a masterpiece? but yet you see something unique about somebody else and forbid it is someone of another race other than your own and you think it's horrible or you have your own nasty thoughts picking them apart piece by piece. Listen, anyone can paint something on canvas and claim it to be a masterpiece, but have you ever tried making a human? I don't mean like making a baby. Come on, people. (laughs) Let's keep it clean here. I mean creating an actual living, breathing from dust human. No? Huh? Okay, okay. Have you ever tried pottery? There may be a few. Have you ever made a person from clay and then actually breathed life into them? Yeah, didn't think so. Every single person, every one, every single one of us, God made, and we're all masterpieces, honey. It's hard at times to even try and understand the works of God. Ecclesiastes 11.5 says, As you do not know, the way of the Spirit comes into the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So now we know that God made us to be masterpieces. I mean, we come out of the womb just so perfect, just brand new, the ultimate new beginning. Then something happens. Our parents, our siblings, family, teachers, babysitters, just people that's in our lives and around us on a daily basis, they begin to speak. And as babies, we listen. The main ones that we automatically connect and begin to search for, their scent, their sound, their voices, our parents. So then we become glue. Everything we say, how we react to situations, our behavior, relationships, even when you think they're not listening, trust me, they are. My mom has a great heart. She, like many other parents, tried to give her children a better life than her own. 
Some lives look great, but just know that not everyone has the same childhood. Mine was a bit different, like I'm sure most people's are, and may even sound familiar. My biological father was an alcoholic, and he was addicted to drugs and sex. (laughs) Just not always with my mom. I remember being about four years old. My father came home drunk one night, trying to be very quiet while peeing on the TV. Wasn't a skill that he had mastered yet. And if he didn't wake the whole house, my mom confronting him did. That never ended well for her. And it would always turn into my older sister of just five years older than me, trying to protect me from seeing the things that he would do to her. My sister took on the responsibility at that age that led her to always feel the pressure to control, protect, be on like defense. And she just took on so much of that heaviness. The heaviness of those burdens actually drove her into certain places. The same chains that held my father down had now carried over and stuck to one of his children. But that's her story to tell. It is not mine. In my years growing up, I saw so much anger, resentment, manipulation. Those are just a few to name. All of these things began to stick to me. Some even transferred from my mom that she got from generations before her. My mom stood up one day and finally walked out having to restart and rebuild with two kids. Not realizing that she had things stuck on her that would follow. She remarried my, who I now call dad. He had been through some things in his own life, like most of us have. And at one point, he was saved through an encounter of his own with the Lord and actually tried his best to lead us with God in mind. Now, I could go into the craziness of my childhood in detail, but that's a whole nother podcast. But when I was probably about nine or ten years old, I began to dream just some crazy things or just know things deep down inside my gut and I didn't know how. It was hard to explain but I always had this feeling of something more. My mom would tell me stories from her childhood that was similar with her and my dad trying to do what was best for their family. Our church and religion did not necessarily agree with it. I was told that what I had was not from God and it was evil and witchcraft. Witchcraft? I mean... (laughs) I'd seen movies, but seriously, witchcraft, it's real. Little did I know it is real, and little did my parents know that they had rejected me with religion, even though they felt it was the right thing by using God. But I was glue. It stuck. That is when I felt rejection by what I thought at the time was God. The enemy began to creep in my head and tell me that God was not in me. That was when I decided to figure out where it was from. My mom used to and sometimes still does use the also popular saying to me when I did something wrong or if I would do something that she didn't see right in her eyes. God doesn't like ugly. What does that mean? Being told that over and over, it stuck. Are you telling me I'm ugly? She wasn't, but you get the point. I felt God didn't like me or anything I did. I was not good enough for God. I felt worthless. 
The devil took that. And this is when I began my path of trying to discover what I was and where I would be accepted. On my search, I did look into witchcraft. I at first was like, no, due to the fact that I knew for sure that was not from God and was evil. I didn't want anything to do with evil. I knew that for sure. Maybe I could be a good witch. I kind of asked myself that and, and embarrassed to admit it, but I did. As I continued my research of witchcraft, I sought out psychics. I even tried a few spells just to see if something was happening. I was trying to find who I was. I thank to God that I just felt deep down something was not right and it wasn't a good fit for me. So I walked away from it. Little did I know, I had opened the door to invite the enemy in. My growing up was always a struggle between my mind and what it was telling me and what my gut was feeling. And I was never the one that you could tell me what to do. I marched to the beat of my own drum. Just ask my parents. I spent the rest of my childhood struggling to fit in, which led me to getting pregnant at 15 and having my first child. Even with this, I was still screaming on the inside for something to come out, but I held it down afraid that it was ugly or not from God or I'd be judged. I was still having feelings. I was still having dreams. I ended up pushing it so far down that I eventually stopped hearing it. So the enemy became louder. That's when sickness sank in. I was born with all kinds of health issues from pancreatic issues causing pancreatitis to having to get a pacemaker at a young age just to keep my heart beating. I think my heart had stopped two or three times. I mean, I had more surgeries and hospital stays than I can count. And that alone, people, can cause some depression and can be really heavy. I also, when I was younger, had a very brief episode with the eating disorder because I didn't like myself and I never felt good enough or like I fit in with the crowd with my looks. It became a love of food at that point. And my family would often mock me for it, not knowing that it was filling a very temporary void. Again, glue. After layers and layers of glue began to pile up, such as fear, worry, depression, postpartum depression, which is so real, illnesses, sicknesses. I mean, I have the dream body for a hypochondriac, people. Addiction, which mine was food, worthlessness, the overwhelming, and I mean, I could go on and on, just layers upon layers of things that just stuck to me, all because of a few things people said to me that was in their minds trying to help me. But I was one big old pile of glue. That stuff, whatever it is, begins to get heavy. So heavy, in fact, we can no longer carry it. A little over a year and a half ago, I was stuck in a very rough spot, to say the least. From the outside, I had two successful businesses that made some money, like lots of money, that provided a grand historical home, vacations every few weeks, new clothes, toys for my kids, and more. I will say that I was never too stingy with my money. I gave when I saw somebody who was a need or as I felt led to. If you looked at my social media pages, I was on top of the world and living the dream. 
The thing was, unless you could look inside my head, you couldn't see that I hated my life and myself. I was overwhelmed. I was tired. I was sick all the time. And the only way to even see my family together was to leave and escape on a vacation. I, in fact, got so tired of the same routine, feeling like I was in a rut and working so much that I was running both businesses, trying to play being an at-home mommy around my husband's demanding schedule at the fire department on days he wasn't at home, all the while also cooking dinners, cleaning the house, paying the bills, putting fires out here, starting them there. <sighs> just thinking about it. Oh, just so much. I'm sure we're all too familiar with this routine that we, most of us, can call life now. The questions I began to ask myself in my mind, is this really how life's supposed to be? Why is it so hard? Then those thoughts begin to turn into, I can't do this anymore. I'm so unhappy. I'm not worth anything. I suck as a mom. What am I teaching my children to live like? All these things began to overwhelm my mind as hard as I tried to push all these things back. They would always pop up and it seemed to happen at the most difficult times. I know most of y'all can probably relate to this as I'm speaking. There was one particular week I had worked two 12-hour days back-to-back -back on my feet as a hairstylist, stayed at home, and worked my travel business while trying to juggle spending time with my kids, cleaning, booking trips in between, making hair appointments, and trying to just keep up with everything that came at me. I was just trying to keep my head above water, and I was ready to take on anything. I just knew I could do it until I couldn't anymore. Everyone has their breaking point, and some may reach theirs before others, but mine, whew, it hit me hard. Isaiah 43, 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. It was my second 12-hour workday this particular week, and I was booked back to back with two or four people in my chair all day long doing hair. I had been so sick and in some major pain from my pancreas flaring with pancreatitis every month when my hormones were at my peak. I've had a long life of health issues, and I mean legit almost died health issues. That, that... Right there will just have to be another episode because that'll just take too long. I mean, I was on my feet all day. I was so tired and I had no time to eat, drink, or anything, which was by my own ignorance and doing. I finished my last client around 10 p.m. that evening and I knew I had to go back home. I still had to book two trips that I had quoted in between hair appointments that day. And I just sat and cried in the middle of the salon. I didn't even want to go home. I knew when I walked in the door, an exhaustion. The kids would just come running and screaming and, and, and not that I didn't love my kids. It was just, I'd walk into a mess. And I had one small ounce of hope left that no, 
It's after 10 p.m. on a weeknight. Surely my husband has my kids in bed and dinner's been cooked and yada, yada, yada. Well, as I cried all the way home with the overwhelming hit of the thoughts that just kept hitting me harder and harder, no matter how much I asked God to make it go away, the thoughts just took over me. I wiped my tears. I got out the car. And at that moment, I had already decided that I had reached my limit. I couldn't take any more. I couldn't carry any more. I walked in the house, and as I, th- as I thought, <laughs> the kids were running wild, screaming, fighting. Dogs are barking. My husband has no dinner ready at 10.30 at night, and I was done. I said nothing to him, walked right past him. I hugged my children really tightly, and I kissed them, and I told him I was going to take a shower. I went into my closet and pulled out an old box of pain meds, where some even dated back to like 1996. I was never really one who liked taking them. Um, I was a person that needed control, and I felt like they took that from me. So I just, for some reason, felt the need to prove something by keeping them so I wouldn't be judged for my illness because... And this day and time, people would be like, oh, you're faking it just to get pain meds. Well, I didn't like taking pain meds. That wasn't the issue. I was legit sick. So I went in the bathroom. I locked the door, opened the box, and I chose my poison. I grabbed my phone first because I had heard it go off with a text message from a friend. Hey, girl, how are you? I replied by sending a picture of the tears streaming down my face and telling her I was done. But the only reason I was sending the text to her was to tell her to make sure my kids know that I tried and that I love them and it was not their fault. I had to make sure somebody told them that. So after that, I turned my phone off so she couldn't message me back or call me. And I proceeded to open the medicine bottle filled with about 13 of the 15 Dilaudid pills and put it to my mouth. And I started with them like just... As they were touching my tongue and I went to go swallow them, um, I was going to start with one bottle and just continue going until I fell asleep. I knew I just wanted to go to sleep and never wake up again. I did not want to write a note. I did not want to scream for help. I was done. I didn't want anybody to stop me. I knew it would be quiet and that my husband would find me and it would just look like I was sleeping. And just as the first pill hit my tongue, I heard my husband as clear as day say, Casey, stop. It was so loud in my mind that it's like startled me. I jolted. The pills went out of the medicine bottle everywhere. The one that touched my tongue fell out my mouth. Like I didn't know how he made it in a very small bathroom where I didn't see anybody. So I figured maybe he was on the other side of the door I was leaning against. I opened the door. Nobody was there. So I shut the door and I sat just confused with tears just coming down my face. And I'm trying to hold back the ugly cry sound because I don't want anybody to know what I'm doing. And as I began to search my thoughts, I heard a voice and this time I knew it wasn't my husband. It was God. And he said to me that night on that bathroom floor that I was meant to live and to not give up. He said, I am worth it. And for me to get up. I felt this amazing love and peace just come over me, and that moment began my year of war with good and evil. I knew what I experienced was an encounter with God at that time. There was no doubt in my mind. I began to press 
into it more. I wanted to know more about God and Jesus and dig to find out why I was so special that he would stop me from actually killing myself. All like, I interrupt the regularly scheduled program to announce, dun dun dun, that you shall live. It was actually way more heartfelt than that, but I figured it was worth looking into. Little did I know that hearing and choosing God over the plans the devil had for me would cause a major war over my life. I didn't tell anyone what had happened except my friend. And um, I had texted Edge. You know, she ended up almost coming over to my house. But I vented to her. I ugly cried to her. I told her about my encounter and we prayed together. She said she prayed so hard to the Lord to intervene. And I just, I knew that her prayers reached him along with there was a purpose for me. I just knew something. I just didn't know what. So little old me, I started the next day like, okay, it's going to be amazing. God kept me alive. I have a purpose. I'm worth something. You know, I must be something special and he'll just take it from here. (laughs) It's never that easy, guys. Warfare is so real. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4, it states in the ASV translation, For the weapons of our warfare are not from flesh, but have the divine power to destroy strongholds. Paul here was kind of describing that we don't fight in the flesh of our warfare, but rather in the spirit. Our weapons against the enemy and his strongholds, which is anything that's holding you down, any of those layers that have stuck to you that's heavy for you to carry, it's no longer ourselves, but through Jesus, the divine power of prayer, worship and leaning on God for strength. And in my next episode, I'm going to go into more detail about my warfare and what God led me to, to get through it. There is hope people. You can get through it. You can change. Things can happen. So that's enough for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share it if you did. I'll be back for the next episode, and I hope you have a wonderful evening. Just know that you are worth it. You are worthy, and God loves you. Amen.